Folks, a quick message from our sponsors, Know Before. So what's a con game? It's a fraud that works by getting the victim to misplace their confidence in the con artist. In the world of cybersecurity, we call confidence tricks social engineering. And as our sponsors, Know Before, will tell you, human error is how most organizations are compromised. What are some of the ways organizations are victimized by social engineering? We'll find out here in just a minute. Now, our sponsors' questions about forms of social engineering come in this form. Know Before will tell you that there's human contact, there can be con games. It's important to build the kind of security culture in which your employees are enabled to make smart security decisions. To do that, they need a new school security awareness training. See how security culture stacks up against Know Before's free phishing test. Get it now at knowbefore.com forward slash phishing test. That's knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Now, no before wants to thank you for listening to the show and I want to thank them for sponsoring it. They are the provider of the world's largest security awareness and simulated fishing platform. Be sure to take advantage of their free fishing test, which you can find at knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Think no before for your security training. Hey everyone, James Azar here with the CISO Talk podcast, State of the Union, version number two, because God knows when we did version number one, no one knew that this year was going to go to shits. Um, <laughs> joining me again is Mark Hopped, CISO at Databank, Patrick Benoit, the one, the only, the chaos, the renegade, BISO at CBRE, Pat, Mark, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. And uh, you're absolutely right. It's it's gone downhill in a, in a handbasket, right? So last time we got together, we were sitting in, in, in your beautiful data center in, I think it was Plano, Texas, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. We were in Plano. We were in Plano yep. And we were talking about car accidents and, you know, playing Frogger crossing the street from the hotel across the street from the data center. And now we're just like, wow, we were a bunch of imbeciles, right? <laughs> we're after a <laughs> pandemic, social unrest, and, and and God knows what's coming up next this year. Like, I'm just looking at this year going like, 2020 woke up on the wrong side of bed. And it's just been nothing but that for like, it's like disgusting. Well, welcome well, back. Pandemic, pandemic is a solution to not playing Frogger on the streets. I mean, it's maybe not a good solution, but it does keep you off the streets. Well, it's it's a it's a solution to playing Frogger with your life, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the new Frogger moved from the uh, crossing the street to the supermarket. You know, one way only lanes navigating well, yeah. you Everybody through. It's everybody else's a lily pad now. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny going into stores and these little taped on arrow directors that take you around. And I'm like, no, I'm not following that. I'm going my way. <laughs> so I did that once um, at Whole Foods next to my house. And this lady goes, sir, sir, are you not paying attention? And she points to the floor. And I was like, I don't look down. I look up. Yeah, yeah there we go. There you go. I was there like, you go. 
I was like, some people look down, other people look up. So our State of the Union version number two, I figured I'd give ourselves a chance to try to fix some of the stuff we spoke about. Although, um, for the sake of all transparency, if you haven't listened to version uh, our, our part one of the State of the Union and you're a first time or second time or third time listener to the Sissel Talk podcast, back then we were the CyberHub Engage podcast. So if you, if you go back and listen to it, you'll be like, CyberHub Engage, Sissel Talk, what happened? RSA happened, a pandemic happened, we rebranded, came back, kind of very, very focused. And um, it's the first time that Mark um, and Patrick joined me since I've rebranded to the CISO Talk podcast. But if you got to listen to the first one to understand this one, because one person got it all right. One person used the word chaos to summarize what this year is going to look like. Um are you hanging out with the Simpsons, Mark? No, I'm not hanging out with the Simpsons. But you know, I mean, I think I think we all got it right, and and I think that uh, I think Pat got it right as well because it, out of this will come the opportunity. I mean, and that and that's the word that he used. Yes, I used chaos, but I didn't specifically say what was going to be chaotic. Of course, there's the I, we did talk about the politics being chaotic, and and frankly, we did talk about. COVID and coronavirus, but it was all over there, over in China um, at that point in, in Wuhan. So there was, uh, there was talk of chaos, and uh, that's what we got. Maybe I should shut my mouth and not talk anymore, and maybe we won't get what I talk about. How's that? <laughs> well, in all fairness, though, in, in, in all fairness, I mean, if, if you say chaos and you say opportunity in any context, you're probably just as good as all the astrology reports that come in the newspaper and they'll apply in almost all circumstances. You just gotta, you just gotta take a different perspective. <laughs> there you go. I, I think you have to look at it. I'd say in like one, one or two ways, right? There's a, um, there's an inherent chaotic world that we live in because we're in cybersecurity and it's inherently chaotic but then the world went almost three times as chaotic as cyber. Like it used to be that we're, you know, want to cry, uh, you know, stocks that those were the crazy things in our world that no one outside of our world understood. And now with COVID and everything that's going on from, from a, a, a social, you know, uh, perspective and, and in our country and globally has really kind of uh, shaken things out, really brought things brought things to a completely different place. I kind of want us to talk a little bit about ransomware because we talked a lot about ransomware in our first state of the union. Ransomware really did kind of get a, uh, a second chance for life now, didn't it? Oh, absolutely. It did. I mean, you know, we, we, we talked a lot about ransomware. Uh, no question about that. You know, I, I know Pat and I've talked uh, offline a, a little bit or, or, in another in another forum a little bit, you know, from my perspective, ransomware has has shifted. Um, I think, and and it's not uh, it's not as prolific as it used to be, but I think it's going to come back. Um, Pat, you want to talk about the the ransomware that you've seen? Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, it again. We had the discussion uh, in different places where we, we still see ransomware. Um, we we saw, as you mentioned in one conversation, that that. Uh, there was a a focus on uh, you know public entities last year getting hit with ransomware. I think you know they were looking the the hackers are looking for weak 
spots to direct their ransomware. And I don't think that's that much different now. They're looking for the for a weak spot, and because all of our uh, healthcare uh, uh, providers and hospitals and medical and so forth are are all inundated because of the pandemic, um, I think there's at least some some logic in the idea that they might be a, tar a target of opportunity because they're overwhelmed, and maybe it'll be easier to get something past them. And so there's some directed you know phishing that we're seeing, thematic phishing. Um, uh, surrounding pandemic and playing on the fear, uncertainty, and doubt that's out there. But um, I don't know that by and large, uh, I think I would agree with you that, that Mark, that it's, it's, you know, there, it was there, it's gone, it comes back, it comes in cycles. And I don't think uh, systemically it's changed that much. Yeah. So, you know, what, what I was sharing a few moments ago is what I've seen as far as the number of successful attacks going on. You know, we, when we had talked about ransomware earlier, we were talking about uh, in, in the previous podcast, we were talking about people who were putting ransomware onto servers uh, through other means, um, you know, uh, brute force attacks and things like that. And that's one of the things that I've seen that uh, I, I dare say um, has almost completely gone away over the last couple of months. What I've seen and as its replacement is during March, I saw a huge number of DDoS attacks. And then since April, I've seen a lot of, um, a lot of uh, old style attacks uh, taking advantage of unpatched systems, things like that, where defacements were occurring. And then, you know, from, you know, I, 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 think, I think ransomware is gonna come back and, and I, I fear that it's a time bomb related situation uh, because the amount of phishing that I'm seeing, which is always a, a predictor of ransomware or has been for the past few years, uh, has has been astronomical. The, the phishing aspect, I think, is is really the story that I've seen over the past couple three months, and I'm wondering what is going to be the result of that phishing uh, effort. You know, is, is somebody laying the groundwork for a later uh, ransomware blitz, for example, or whatever the whatever the case may be related to that? Um, and the the phishing has just been crazy for us. Yeah, phishing's increased obviously tremendously. Ransomware has increased, specifically targeting healthcare facilities, uh, PPE uh, manufacturers, and so forth. And and furthermore, we've seen ransomware as a service, and the naming and shaming, taking Obama's playbook and turning mm -hmm. it against uh, against the victims. Uh, you know, both of you guys are in leadership positions, obviously, and, and and we talk a little bit about that. How are we communicating the naming and shaming to executives? What are some of the things we can take away from that? Well, that I think I, I think that they have to uh, expect that it could be uh, it, it's a distinct possibility. I think that they have to understand that uh, and take the precautions necessary that you know, should, should there be data, um, that, that was leaked or, or breached that, uh, that data is, um, you know, reasonable types of data that they don't get caught with, uh, you know, emails coming out where they've, uh, uh, either broken the law or, you know, harassed or somebody or done something, you know, race, racial in, in, in the language or things like that. Those are the, the shames that in my opinion are hard to come back from 
or that show some kind of either malfeasance or uh, they didn't do diligence with respect to taking care of the clients and the customer's data, that they were uh, negligent in some way. Those are the things. So I think the, the message to leadership is we need to be doing things right and we need to be able to stand on our processes, our policies, procedures, processes that, that show that we're doing everything that we can to do the right thing. Because in the inevitable um, you know, chance that something may get leaked someday, then we at least have right on our side, even if we have to deal with the reputational issues. Yeah, I, I've, I've given the message to my leadership that you have one chance because once the name is put out there, um, then it's, it, you, you can't retract it. You can't go to your lawyer and, and fire off a cease and desist letter because a lot of these naming and shaming sites are either on the dark web or, or where they are very public. They're not in the United States. They're not within the jurisdiction of our legal system to have an impact. So that's my message is you got one shot at this and you better get it right on that one shot. My second part of the message is ransomware is defensible and defendable. And so to get it right, uh, we need to have a very clear and concise uh, containment incident response process that includes a very, very aggressive containment strategy uh, so that any data that would get leaked or any activity that would be occurring that's exfiltrating from our facilities uh, can be stopped as quickly and, and as uh, abruptly as possible. Um, you know, I've used, uh, I think in our last podcast, I, I used a, well, probably not, but certainly in, in other, other conversations, I've used a situation where there's a customer that I'm aware of, maybe, may not be a, a data bank customer, just a customer that I'm aware of that had a good process in place that was a very abrupt containment process. They were able to, they were hit at about 11 o'clock in the morning central time. And by nine o'clock in the evening, they were fully operational again. That's because they contained everything very quickly. They had good, good recovery processes and they were able to fire everything back up in a fully recovered state. And that, that's, uh, and that, that includes restoring from backups, uh, lay, in some cases, even laying down new server images so that if the original server had been impacted, in a in a uh, in a, a way that you know was not just ransomware that they were able to have a clean system coming up. So they had a very defendable and defensible position, and that's my message to to my team is is hey you can do this, but you got one shot at it, and if you waste that one shot and you're not prepared, then expect your name to be up on that list somewhere. And then of course, as Pat said, with, with these with our current climate in the world. You know, just be absolutely careful what you put into email and, and how you word things. And if you've got things that you've put out before on your personal, you know, Facebook pages or otherwise, it's time to go do a little bit of a scrub and, and pull some of those things down before someone may find them through a, a loophole or other means. So you got one shot at it and, and make it right. Yeah. And, and James, I would add. The, the other side of the message that, that I like to put forward is that um, we always have that battle in security between uh, convenience and, and secure. Let's be secure, but let's be convenient. We have that, that's an ongoing duality that we have to balance all the time. 
and there's there's an, a, a pretty strong desire to want to be extra convenient now that everybody's working from home. Um, you know, we have a lot of people that normally would come in the office and just because of the location, the convenience factor is, is not as huge because they're in an office, a controlled location. Now they're not. So don't um, make decisions totally, you know, solely based on convenience and call it a business decision or a business justification. Um, you really have to be careful to continue that balance so that you don't uh, relax too much given the uh, work from home environment. The increase of ransomware can be directly attributed to work from home. The idea of so many organizations that were unprepared for COVID-19. If we kind of look at our State of the Union conversation early and talk about ransomware, if we take it back to preparation, to basic blocking and tackling, to being prepared for um, the, your your worst day ever, to your BC plan, to your you know uh, uh, DR plan, and 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 your <laughs> and so many others, why do you? Th what did? What did you guys see for, as an industry in your position? Obviously, both of you work with a lot of different partners and organizations. What was the kind of like one thing that you saw from COVID-19 um, that caught a lot of organizations with their pants down? Um, I, I, I mean, I'm going to go kind of, you know, psychology on you a bit because um, I think the thing that we, we maybe didn't pay as close attention to is the fact that moving a person from a very structured professional environment to an unstructured home casual environment, even though they have the technology in place, psychologically, the attitude's wholly different. I mean, that's why you probably have plenty of people that, you know, have, have you know, a, a nice shirt on and sweatpants underneath kind of thing going on. And, and, and that's okay. We can't see it on video, but that, that translates itself into the way they approach how they're working too. And so, you know, I, I don't know that that everybody immediately put on their, hey, I'm in the office and I need to be security aware and I need to be super professional the same as they did when they walked into the office. And I think as a result, you maybe have some casualness that's, uh, that's uh, leaking into the process where you get an email and you know, you were maybe just on your personal computer doing something and you swivel chair it over and you start doing an email and, and you click on a link and then you realize, wait, I'm on my office computer. I have to be more careful because I don't care what anybody says, except for a lot of security and IT professionals, that same sense of, uh, of uh, uh, concern and, and security probably doesn't permeate their home the way it does their office. So I think that's that's uh, had an impact on things. Mark, yeah, I, I would I would completely agree. And you know, I think the one thing that caught a lot of people off guard was actually how prepared we were for this. You know, five years ago, um, and, and it was an inadvertent preparedness, by the way. But five years ago, uh, the talk of doing this kind of thing would have resulted in. Uh, in panic. Uh, but the way things occurred this here in 2020 versus what it would happen in 2015, so many offices have moved to cloud-based applications like Office 365. So many people have already started getting laptops and taking their work home with them. 
and maybe doing a work from home situation, you know, one, two days a week as part of a, an employee benefit program uh, that allowed for a little bit more uh, relaxation or, or a little bit more um, uh, loosey goosey type of situation with um, in order to keep employees, because we've been in a situation here for the last couple of years where the economy has been booming. And so the HR people have kind of gotten a little uh, creative on how to how to retain their employees. And the managers have gotten a little bit more relaxed in allowing people to work from home. So I think I, I think that that surprised me. And, and I can guarantee you it surprised a lot of managers, a lot of C-level people that I deal with of how effective the work from home situation has been. Now, I still think it needs to work itself out. We've only been doing this for three or four months. Um, the other, the other thing that's starting to starting to play out now, because people are still at home, people are even though the the restaurants and things like that are starting to go back to work, the offices are are not yet ready to go back to work. So people are still working from home. I think the one of the things that we as CISOs and BISOs are going to have to deal with that might be a little bit shocking and very. Uh, put put us in partnership with HR people and and make us also have to be a little a uh, little bit walking on eggshells is dealing with the mental health issues because what what's going to happen here is if we're not careful is the mental health issues are going to result in in people that normally would not be uh, becoming insider threat to to our companies and that is most definitely a security issue that we need to be prepared for now or we will be caught with our pants down uh if we're not prepared for it if we're not thinking about it right now and that's a that's a hard thing to have a conversation uh, about looking at somebody and and actually doing a a full risk assessment on the mental health of of people uh that are in your team and in your office or, or part of your organization. And um, if, you know, I've, if you're a financial institution or a healthcare institution where people are dealing with all the stresses that are around them inside their homes, uh, you know, the outlet for that will be, how, how do I get back at my employer for not allowing me out of this place and allowing me to come back in the office? Well, here's, here's a couple of ways, you know, they can get back at, you know, they can change data or, they can, you know, they can make mistakes. You know, insider threats uh, are, you know, are people who make mistakes as well. So that's going to be an issue that we have to deal with in, in the future if we're not careful with. And James, James will love the fact that um, we are are beginning to uh, open the opportunity for yet another buzzword. And um, <laughs> insider threat is going to be our new word. And every Every company out there is going to start selling insider threat, just like they have AI and ML. Um, they're going to they're going to say we do insider threat because that's the next new buzzword, you know, buzzkill, buzzword that we have. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And security awareness and training is how you're going to find that because we're going to yeah. we're going to do all that testing and and see how they respond to things and use psychology to do that. So the the uh, the, the various uh, security awareness and training organizations are probably going to be the ones that are initiating those buzzwords. Yeah. I, I, yes and no. I think awareness organizations um, have been talking about the insider threat for quite some time. And mature organizations are aware of that threat. I think that the difference now is when you're uh, one of the challenges I saw during this period of time with speaking with, you know, CISOs um, has been the uh, furloughing 
and sending people on leave where they mm -hmm. still may have company equipment and you're like, hey, could you mail us the laptop? We'll send you a label. Um, and you don't know what's really happening with that equipment because it's it's going somewhere. And then by the time you get it and you look at it, it's it's and and even if you run forensics on it, it could take a long time before you discover what someone had maliciously done with one device. Right. And you use an important you use important couple of words there is that furlough and lease. You know, these people are still technically employees that are on furlough and lease. And we may send that laptop back to them and they may be frustrated that they're on furlough or leave and actually have to return that laptop in order to protect the environment. And, and instead of a straight termination where it's not going back and, and we and we grab that that information. So th those are those are all real threats that we have to deal with. Well, and the next HR thing that's going to be fun, too, is there's I'm, I'm hearing. Well, two, two things I'm hearing lots and lots of discussions starting to initiate in various companies about do you have the right uh, in air quotes the right to terminate somebody because they won't come back to the office if you said people should come back to the office um, and that's going to be a big yeah. legal discussion for years to come and uh, alongside of that is i'm finding it, it, it it's it's amusing to me that i'm finding a lot of, I guess I'll just say old school leaders that want people back in the office. I think it's because underlying that they don't feel like people are productive unless they're where they can be seen. But they're they're used. They're saying that the collaboration is not as good when the person's not in the office, and they're they're mixing up that with the fact that the team cohesion may not be as good, but the collaboration is exactly the same as is in the office because most of the time in the office, we're doing the same stuff anyway. So you're, you're actually hearing that because I'm, I'm hearing the opposite from, from my own team at databank, as well as others that they have been surprised pleasantly surprised at the collaboration and the productivity that's going on with people at home. And I do know companies that are talking about reducing, you know, a CBRE you may not want to hear this, but reducing their office footprints, and letting people work from home uh, permanently now. So you're, you're hearing the opposite of that a little bit? In some cases, not all cases, but what I have found is that in every case, when I question a little bit further, it turns out that the leader that is making statements like that seems to be one of those very hands-on, autocratic, you know, I wanna see everything and feel everything type leaders. And that's an old school style that has yeah. for the most part fallen away, but it's still out there and it's gonna cause problems. Well, you're talking about a set of leadership and I think the, the one thing that that brings up is culture, right? Positive, positive CISOs, good security programs. When people started working from home, their, their concern was around security. They were able to communicate and cross communicate and, and get things going. To kind of address the whole idea of uh, commercial real estate and people going back into the office. I think the biggest threat threat there in some one of the kind of things that I monitor uh, as my hobby is going to be the change in personnel that's going to be coming into the office. And now the real threat of people actually infiltrating your office building and being able to get physical access to data, to servers, to 
units because it, it's it's very interesting. There was a um, a case that's uh, not yet been disclosed somewhere in Europe where um, a limited amount of employees were allowed to come back into the office and a bunch of threat actors understood that they were in the inboxes. They generated fake IDs. And because there's very few people in the office and because the company also hired people during this period of time, they just pretended to be someone, walked into the facility, downloaded a bunch of data, did a whole bunch of stuff internally without anyone even raising an eyebrow and left. Yeah, the, the, the challenge of trying to control access on a, effectively on a daily basis. Um, and now we have lots of states and other jurisdictions that are, are mandating certain things to, you know, you, you must do some kind of uh, pre-check that may, to make sure that, you know, your, your people are, are not exhibiting symptoms before they come in the office and some different things like that across the states. And so who knows what kind of rules will come out and if it, but they're all going to lead to this idea that the the employer or the building manager has to ensure that whoever they let in their office has been minimally checked and is supposed to be there so now in the case where you have uh say you have an office building and and your company is on four different floors throughout a 20 or 25 story office building are you going to have to deploy five different people one on each floor to be a a a gatekeeper and make sure that that's okay or are you going to funnel everybody to one place you know what kind of technology are you going to use to ensure exactly what you're talking about james that the person that comes in really is the person that should be there. Um, and and so the logistics is just incredible. The, the, the logistics is, is a nightmare scenario. And you, you look at this and you spoke about it from an HR perspective, uh, you know, being stopped and questioned. So if you've got a security guard that's monitoring your entrance and, you know, if, if they stop someone, they can be like, why are you picking on me? Right. I mean, we're, we're, we're there now. Right. Right. We, we, we see that all the time. And so it's, it's, it's creating a, a, a loophole, but that brings me to the fact that I think it's time to, to change the CISO role to a CSO role and allow physical and information and data security all to fall under the office of the CISO and not have maybe physical security go to the office of a, uh, chief risk officer or uh, a COO, because now this COVID has actually changed the physical security aspect and intertwined it with information security, whether you like it or not. Yeah, Mark, what I, do you I'm think? A, I'm all for I'm all yeah. for that. I've been I've been promoting that for quite a while. Is you know I, I remember um, 20 years ago uh, when I worked for a company, the the physical security was completely separate from the CISO's role. And when you tried to bring the two together, the individuals, I could not even, I could not even agree because the physical security was being run by uh, a guy who was a former law enforcement officer. And, um, and he was running his things in a, in a very law enforcement militaristic type of way, whereas the CISO was looking at more from a business perspective. And I, I think that, I, I think there's a lot of, a, a lot of the, the CSOs, a lot of companies are, are seeing that the CSO has a lot of value uh, because the CISO is typically 
that more business-minded individual that's worried about, they're, they're concerned about the numbers, they, uh, they probably came up through the business environment and understand the business. Many of us have MBAs or, or similar type of degrees that allow us to lend, us, lend ourselves more towards the dollars and the cents and understanding how to manage people and so on and so forth. Um, on top of our security prowess, whereas a lot of the folks that are in the CSO or that, that are in the physical security realm are learning that as a side job or as a second job after retirement from retiring from a, a police force. And the two uh, are the, the, the two being the law enforcement and being a security officer, a, a chief security officer are very much different roles. And uh, and we and as businesses realize that and they see the value of a BISO and they see the value of a CISO, they're more willing to promote that type of individual uh, to oversee the physical security realm and uh, and maybe get a director of, secu- of physical security that has that law enforcement background that can work with the CISO simply because of the business minded functions uh, that 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 the CISOs typically think about. So that's that's something I've been promoting for a while. And it's it really is starting to starting to become reality in a lot of places. And Mark, you kind of allude. I mean, James, you kind of alluded to the uh, the idea that you know a security guard is going to be asking questions that you know may end up being construed as uh, racial profiling or or whatever the case mm-hmm. is harassment. But um, it even goes to the the problem with uh, you you bring privacy into it. So what happens if the security guard in, in his best intention starts asking questions about health history or health uh, you know, symptoms and things like that, and then makes notes about them and keeps those notes in a log? Now you have PHI effectively um, that you're storing in a, in a paper log and maybe he has to do an online entry of it. Now you got PHI floated into your system that you didn't even know about. Oh, that's already happened in, in our data centers because um, you know some of some of our data centers at DataBank are are owned by other other uh, organizations like Digital Realty, and the the guards are provided by uh, them and and or we have our own guards that are uh, you know, like G4S or someone like that, and we've been confronted with what do we do with the log entries that contain. Uh, the information of when we ask somebody to leave because of the symptoms that they're exhibiting or the answers that they gave as a result of our our health checks. And so, again, that's a melding spot between the, the physical security and the information security role that is now, is now becoming uh, a blurred type of situation where the CISO is going to win out ultimately on it because that data is IPA. HIPAA data and your your physical security people uh, don't. Uh, I'm probably a stretch to say they don't care about it, but they don't understand it as as well as those of us in the CISO and the BISO roles do. Yep. Yeah, we're we're almost entering the type of uh, of 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 responsibilities and territories for uh, information security professionals where. You're bringing into consideration now HR, physical security, and so many different aspects that you weren't really accounting for, um, specifically with BYOD. I mean, Patrick started off this podcast talking about, you know, you know, Deborah and whoever you are, Deborah. I'm really sorry, your name just popped into my head. 
you know, in one area working on her personal laptop, turning around to work on her business laptop. And, you know, in a lot of cases, that laptop is the same laptop. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that laptop's also being used for the kids' schooling in some of those cases. Um, it's also to entertain the children when, you know, Deborah's got to go cook lunch or dinner for the kids, whatever the case may be. So there's, you know, Deborah or, 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 or Gary, the dad, I don't know, whoever, right? But we're, we're creating a whole new set of, of threats with a BYOD and the challenges of a BYOD policy from a work-from-home environment. What are some of some of the ways you deal with this? I mean, what are some of your 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 takeaways from this situation, especially as we prep now for a partial reopening with a second wave just right upon us? If it hasn't started already with everything going on, it feels like people forgot that there's a pandemic going on and um, we might see the second wave sooner rather than later. I think we're in it right now and there may be a third wave after that but you know as it relates to byod i think there's i know one of the things that i've considered is is you know and i've talked to our hr department is how can i ask questions and how can i enforce data bank security standards onto personal devices such as even the routers that they use uh for uh for the internet connections um, let alone the, the computers themselves. So that, you know, how, how can, how can, how far is my reach? And, you know, the question then comes back, okay, are we paying for that service? Uh, you know, are we, are we reimbursing for the, the internet or are we not? And if we're reimbursing for the internet, then we, there, there should be some expectation on the part of the employee that we have a reach into that, that we can say how that's configured and how that's utilized, whether that's, uh, you know, putting on some sort of software that will allow us to track and and trace their activities, or if it's uh, if it's a screenshot showing what their what their router uh, looks like at at any given point. So the the conversation has to be had with HR, and and a corporate decision needs to be made of how far the reach can go from a legal perspective. A CISO should not just be jumping out and immediately writing a policy that says you have to report to me your, your status in, in, uh, in, of your router or of your BYOD. And then we also have to, you know, have to consider is the technology that we're using the right technology? And then that we have to coordinate with our CTOs and CIOs. You know, maybe the answer is, hey, BYOD is great and that we uh, use a, a tool like a Citrix or something, uh, some sort of emulator that only pushes the screen uh, across to the individuals brought in device instead of actually having applications or other functions uh, installed on the, uh, the, the person's uh, BYOD, uh, their, their home computer. So there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of questions that have to be answered and there's a lot of collaboration that has to occur uh, before I personally am gonna be comfortable with BYOD type of situations. Yeah, and I take, uh, you know, all of that is, is absolutely true. I take a little bit different view on it. And I just had a lengthy discussion this week about it, a lengthy, ongoing, still not ended discussion about it. Um, and I think, uh, you know, there's two things here. One is, do you have the ability to reach into those things if you reimburse? I think you, you may not have the ability to enforce, 
you have the ability to say, I'm not going to reimburse you if, if you don't let me do this. But as soon as, as soon as the reimbursement's off the table, now it's, now it's a question of control. The discussion we've been having uh, is if, if, if we buy a device for an individual and give it to them effectively, um, it's on our service, say it's using our phone service and such, but we don't, uh, you know, they don't pay for it, but we don't control it at all. Is it considered a personal device? And there's, you know, varying philosophies about that. But my point in the discussion was, if I have no control over it, then it, it truly is a personal device still. I don't care who's paying for it. Now, I can exercise some, some oversight or enforcement by simply withholding money if I don't want, if they don't do what I say. But ultimately, that's a personal device and I have to treat it that way. And so we look at it from, uh, um, you know, looking at the idea of always on VPN and things like that for all of our corporate devices. And you cannot attach a personal device to any of our corporate networks. Um, you can access SaaS solutions, of course, but those are SaaS solutions and those are always going to be available to, to virtually any device. Um, so I, I agree with Mark. There's lots of considerations there about what you can and can't do. I just have a little bit different viewpoint on, on uh, uh, where it might end up. So I kind of want to transition and talk a little bit about the cloud. We spoke about the cloud during our State of the Union. We, we talked a little bit about, you know, uh, data centers and, and, and all that good stuff, Mark, as well. But one of the things we saw from uh, COVID-19 and one of the things we spoke about pre-COVID was this whole idea of, of, of transitioning to the cloud and, and the, the multi-cloud environments and data and, 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 and clusters and unsecured databases and so forth. I'm going to use a buzzword, Pat. You're going to love this one. Digital transformation, right? Woo! <laughs> buzzword um so digital transformation is really starting to um to get spe sped up simply because organizations can't have people on prem they can't get access to specific um hardware that they need to access and so forth and so we're seeing this quick transition to the cloud what what are some of the ongoing security risks that are going to be the fallout of a quick not properly planned cloud transition I think the biggest uh, issue has, has not changed as a result of pandemic or work from home. The biggest <laughs> issue is always um, uh, those who feel they may be expert in cloud, but may not necessarily be an expert in cloud, who decides that the appropriate way to go into the cloud is to do a straight lift and shift. And that's gonna bite you almost every time. If you just pick that stuff up, the legacy applications and you drop them in the cloud, um, that's where you get all this, uh, these issues with improper configurations that expose uh, uh, companies on the cloud. I, I think that's still one of the biggest issues is that we're going into it without, uh, in some cases, without sufficient uh, expertise. And then I think sometimes we go into it without, uh, Mark knows this very well, without uh, clearly uh, the, the roles and responsibilities are clearly defined in your cloud service provider agreements, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the customer actually read and 
thoroughly understands the roles and responsibilities and has accounted for how to take care of their responsibilities. So I think those are two big areas that are problematic still. I completely agree with you. Completely agree with you. And I think I would add a call, at least one more, and that is the speed at which people are moving right now. You know, I think, you know, going back to your previous comments about a second or even a third wave uh, in this continued work from home type of situation, uh, those companies, there there were some companies out there that kind of got their, you know, going back to another conversation we had here this afternoon, is it got caught with their pants down where those companies that hadn't moved to the cloud or they had on-prem data centers and they were perfectly happy with that until they found out that their VPNs were overloaded or that some of the data was not accessible uh, to their employees that were working from home. So what, what's resulting from that is that they're moving too fast with uh, into the cloud or, or moving those data, those on-prem data centers into a structured data center like, like at Databank. And what they're doing is they're they're not dotting their eyes and they're not crossing their T's. And as a result, they don't know their responsibilities. They don't understand what the the cloud provider is really doing for them. It's going to result in in more data breaches uh, down down the path. Lots of times they'll they're going to tap you know tap people who have the you know have some sort of a, a certification or have some sort of uh, pontification on a, uh, a the cloud itself you know somebody may claim to be an aws or an azure expert and they're going to grab that person they're going to say okay now put this thing in into uh, into the cloud for us because we've got to otherwise we're going to we're going to have to buy other types of equipment so moving too fast is probably the big the, one of the biggest concerns that i have uh moving forward besides what what patrick already said um, if there's an, if there's another one out there, um, I, I, you know, this digital transformation, I, I think it's going to not only be too fast, but I think that, uh, that people are going to need to really sit down and decide whether they have to rebuild their apps from scratch in order to be in the cloud, or if they are transformational, uh, in, into that cloud type of situation. And uh, I think, you know, it, it kind of falls in line with the moving too fast piece. But I'm I'm concerned that a lot of people have this whole thing in their mind that let's just let's just move it let's just move it let's just move it, and uh, and we're going to run into problems you know six months a year or even two three four years down the road where the uh, they, they weren't properly configured they weren't properly identified and understood proper classification and things like that uh, that were that were applied to the data that was transformed and also the systems that were transformed. You know, Mark, you inspired another interesting thought uh, uh, along this whole area, which is um, we all have data center managers. You know, if we have a data center, we have a data center manager. If, even if we colo our center, we have a data center manager that's in, in, in a company. That's pretty common. But I was just sitting there thinking about I can't recall a, a, a company that actually has a person that is effectively the public cloud data center manager, you know, that is responsible for the, the, the overall operation of that cloud environment, as opposed to it's just an architect that helps set it up and you go in here and you ask for your credentials and you build your own stuff in your own instance and kind of that's it. I think that maybe ought to be more formalized if it isn't. I haven't seen it, maybe I've missed it. 
So maybe we could have a BISO cloud, a, a cloud BISO. How's that? Well, you could do that too, but I, you know, I, I don't think from a security point of view, even though there's different technology that it necessarily requires different leadership, but you know, maybe from managing that cloud environment as a whole, uh, maybe it does need a different leader. Well, you're, you're talking about a role that is, is needed specifically to maybe more or less manage what's going on. I think one of the things that concern me with the digital cloud transformation is in a lot of the companies where I'm a CISO today and I'm a virtual CISO, what I could do before by being on site, by being able to walk into the, cause I don't work, you know, I'm not full-time at these organizations. So it's, it's like Mark going from, you know, Kansas to, to Dallas, to Atlanta, when you're there and you're talking to the people, you tend to learn more than on conference calls and, and, and in all those places. Well, I think my biggest fear today is the fact that the elimination of that interaction can leave you blindsided to things that are going on and stuff that's happening where they're doing a duct tape on a gunshot wound rather than doing a surgical uh, uh, move to, to really fix something. And you're not even aware that it's happening until sometimes it's too late. We've lost the water cooler uh, conversation effect. And, and I don't know how you bring that back. I don't well, know I, how you bring I, that back. I don't know if I, I don't know if I entirely agree with that. I think it all has to do with the culture of the company. Um, you know, if you're, if your company, if your culture of the company is that you come into, come into the office and everything has to be done inside the office, then you're probably in that situation you're talking about. But if you're in a company that's already, uh, diversified across the uh, geographically diversified across the organization or across the country rather um, I think that you probably already have identified those collaborative tools whether that's that's teams or webex or something like that and I know that one of the things that we've done and that I've started doing as CISO and I mean I'm sitting here doing this to you guys and you probably don't even necessarily realize it but I pay when I'm on these video conference calls is I pay more attention and specifically look at the person that's talking and, and look at their mannerisms and their, their facial, uh, you know, their, their, their facial responses and things like that um, so that I can connect with them. And, and maybe that's going to be the, that's one of the transformations that's going to occur over the next few months is as people get more into these types of products, like we're doing now here, here we're on Google, we got teams, we've got unmentionable other products that are out there, um, you know, we're going to have to learn to not not think of that person as someone on the screen that we can ignore and, and multitask on, but actually focus in on and look at them and see what they're doing and and how they're reacting to your statements as well as as making the statements. And I think as a result of that, we should be able to uh, we, we should be able to be in. In, you know, connected and in, in contact uh, in a manner that will help prevent some of those issues you're talking about, James. It's interesting. Zoom just took that feature out last month, right? Or two months ago, right? The Zoom attention tracker. Yeah, WebEx has had it for <laughs> WebEx has had it for years. I mean, if you're on the sales side of things, they know uh, who who's paying attention and who's not. Now, maybe not by your eyes, but how much you're moving the mouse around and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, there's a um, 
how much you're moving the mouse around, how many times you minimize your conference call screen to uh, go to LinkedIn, Twitter, Reddit, Facebook, um, or or anything else, um, or even play a game. Um, I've or, seen those. Yeah, or or how about? I'm sorry, I, did, I didn't hear you. Can you repeat that question? As because you were off in a, a thousand different other directions and not well, really paying attention. And and that's a challenge, right? I mean, and it's very very difficult. Initially, people when this when this whole thing happened, let's let's be frank. A lot of people enjoyed this. No traffic, home with the family, kids. Yeah. It was nice. It was it was it was, you know, you, you had two to three weeks of enjoying it. And now that it's become kind of a standard, kids don't have school. Kids are driving you crazy. You're with your wife 24-7 or you're with your husband 24-7 or with your domestic partner or roommate 24-7. Things start to appear a little different for people. And um, if you're back-to-back conference calls, well, you're exhausted, right? Because, you know, I mean, I have days where every half hour I got a call. You don't even get a chance to take a breath between call to call. You finish yep. that call at 30 till and you're already clicking the link to join the next, you know, conference call. Yeah. And bio and, breaks are important. And and those and yeah, I mean, you know, um Chris Roberts, um formerly of Ativo, he put out a really cool post um if, uh, I think last week where he um he kind of showed a picture of his calendar and he goes you see, like I block out time. So if you want 15 minutes, show me where I can give you 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Right. Because of the way he manages his calendar, he blocks out time to do all these different things. Well, you know, that's great for Chris and in his position, he's, he's awesome for, for doing that. But for a lot of us, that's not, a, that's not applicable, right? CEOs call you board members. I mean, I was on a call yesterday until nine 30 at night with board members that are, you know, strategically concerned about, all these different, you know, adoption and moves to cloud, to technology, to security, to work from home. And they're trying to figure out, well, you know, we've, we've put band-aids on a gunshot wound, but now we really need to fix this and go into surgery. So how much is surgery going to cost and how long is it going to take? And what's the level of risk that exists within that surgery? And that's recalculating your security program, especially as boards, as you, you said, Mark, start to minimize uh, commercial real estate. Although I think CBRE is going to be fine. Companies uh, will be able to readapt and repurpose commercial real estate uh, uh, offices and buildings. Uh, you'll start to see more of the, um, um, you know, commercial shopping centers where you can live and work and have a co-work space and all that good stuff um, all yeah. within walking distance uh, and, and more shops, more restaurants, more small businesses, more supply chain, more threats with that, but nonetheless, kind of like the, that new that new piece to it. Well, everything's going to have to be repurposed to some degree. Right. And, Correct. You know, space replanning, projects to repurpose, new buildings, uh, much much greater distribution capacity. I mean, Amazon is a perfect example of you know they're hiring like crazy. Well, that means they're also having to find space and build out things like crazy. That's a good example. You know, hospitals, healthcare facilities, uh, um, et cetera, et cetera. Those are all uh, boom areas right now. Um, so it's like everything. Out of every chaos, you know, in time comes great opportunity, which is where we started at the beginning of this. And, and so you just have to, 
to weather weather the storm and look for the opportunity and it'll come. Yeah, you know, the Patrick, you're absolutely right. And and I, I was talking to somebody about AI and ML a couple of months ago and they said, well, what happens if AI or ML re replaces my job? And I said, well, um, think about this. What job are you doing? Well, you're doing uh, frontline, so uh, you're doing frontline sock work uh, for a security firm. I said, okay, uh, great. And how many years ago? This is a younger kid, of course. They said, how many years ago were we were we even doing sock work? He's like, well, we've always done. That. I said, no, we haven't always done sock work. Uh, you know, security <laughs> security work in, 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 in itself was a realm of the law enforcement and the military and the government only 30 years ago and until you know until GLBA and HIPAA came out you know lots of companies didn't even have security teams and so my my point to him and and I made it clear to him is if AI and ML come out what we are very good at as humans is finding new avenues for our work to to uh to to occur and so that's exactly what you guys are talking about with the repurposing we are very good as a society of repurposing and you know with the security tools and the security responsibilities that we have we're good at retooling and refocusing as long as our board members and as long as our c-level people that are above us are willing to repurpose and retool i think that's one of the awesome things about being a CISO and and being in the security field is that we're nimble and we can make good decisions quickly uh and 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 change direction very quickly and i think that's that comes from doing too many incident response re, uh, functions and uh, and reacting from behind for so many years when uh, business units were not involving security from the front end uh, like they are now. Well, that's exactly why we're no longer an agrarian society or an industrialization society. We are an information society at this point. The next iteration will be something. Right. It'd be very interesting what the next generation is going to be, because what's going to be beyond information, right? I mean, what's going to be beyond yeah, information? <laughs> you stop it, Pat. You stop it. There's a graveyard here with a bunch of AI ML on tombstones. We're gonna have to read. <laughs> you uh -oh. know, it's, uh oh, that's trouble. Synthetic uh, intelligence, SI, synthetic intelligence. That's it. That's the new buzzword. No, no, I, I, I have a feeling that we're going to start to hear about quantum now. Boy, that's true. That is true. No, oh, we, we, we've already started hearing about that one, but we're going to have to go and get, um, get our friend there from uh, Atlanta uh, back on the call to talk quantum, right? Well, Chris Lindbergh is no longer in Atlanta. He's now in the uh, uh, in California. Um, that's true. And so, um, and and I miss Chris. He's he's a one brilliant mind. Um, yeah. Probably one of the sharpest minds in our country. Um, really, the guy's just exceptionally intelligent. Guys, so uh, we're almost out of time. So I'll give you each a minute here or so. Your prediction for the rest of the year. What's, what, what do you guys think? You know, Are you sticking with your original prediction or are you making some adjustments? Well, I'll, I'll let Mark go first. But uh, I mean, I'm going to say it's all over again. You know, it's, it's astrology. We're, 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 we've, both, we've all three been around the, the block enough times to know that whatever we say, if we say it properly, it will come true. That, that is correct. So I'm going to stick with my, my prediction that it's going to be chaos. Um, it's very unfortunate, but 
the pandemic is not over. We're already seeing the wave wave two as we record this on June the 11th. Um, we're seeing wave two uh, in part because of Memorial Day. Let's let's be honest. It's not not all about civil unrest or protesting. It's it's also Memorial Day. It's in part because we're opening up, and it's in part because of the protesting uh, type of situation that's gone on across our country. So we're going to see, you know, wave two is uh, is started now, and we're going to see wave three, I think, in the fall. Um, uh, the the, poli- the political situation is not going to get better until November sixth, and maybe even after. Um, I believe. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to go beyond chaos, and I'm going to say that I, I believe that there are forces uh, at work. Uh, that are wanting to impact uh, and, and not hack the election, but impact the election. Some of those forces are internal and many of them are external. And so that that's a given. I think that's something that we, we talked about in February, that the, the forces are, are at work trying to impact the election. And that's not going to change. And what is going to probably change versus what we talked about in February in regards to the political situation is that We've already ramped it up so heavily here in the past two to three weeks that um, that it, it really is uh, in a in a situation that is something that we as security professionals need to very very closely watch um, and make sure that our facilities are are secure and that our systems are secure. And so I, I believe that that's going to continue on, you know, through from now at least to, through November, if not till the end of the year, uh, is that the, the chaos resulting from the political situation. And then there's the whole unknown. You know, what is next? We've been through uh, foreign involvement in January with, uh, with Iran. We went through, uh, you know, the, the pandemic situation. We're going through the civil unrest situation right now. You know, what, what can be next? Uh, you know, there, I, I guess it, it's a, uh, it's a, it would be best to say that we can go pick up a couple of fiction novels and read what, what people have uh, have thought would was the unthinkable, um, but uh, that that may be becoming the thinkable now. Yeah, and and so James, you know that um, you know my nickname is chaos, and so uh, I embrace chaos naturally. But I think uh, so that's why I, I like what Mark is saying because uh, it, it it gives us the chance to learn to be even greater at change adaptability. And, and, you know, moving movement, you can call it nimble, you can call it whatever other buzzword I won't say you want, but um, we're going to see more of that. We're going to have to continue to be fast on our feet, light on our feet. Um, I think we're going to see just continued upticks and ever, ever increasing levels of compliance. I think we're going to see more and more rules and regulations that are are uh, disparate and disjointed across the 50 states and the federal government because there won't be any any coordination or collaboration with respect to that, whether it be privacy or whether it be you know health issue jurisdiction that's going to drive uh, technology forward. Um, you know, and and Mark's right. We're going to see interesting things happen as the election comes comes to fruition. Uh, stock markets all over the place, been all over the place. That's going to continue to happen. And, um, you know, the, the, the big challenge is for us to teach and remain uh, adaptable in, in the face of all this. Cultural changes at work. Um, we have not settled into what work from home is going to look like in the long term. Is it going to be something that's going to be more uh, welcomed? 
by most companies or is it going to be something that they try to revert back as far as possible to the in the office scenario you know that remains that depends how long your lease with CBRE is. If your lease expires <laughs> next year, you're probably going to stay work at home. If your lease is for five more years, you're bringing everyone's butts back to work. <laughs> well, or you repurposing. I mean, or you repurposing. That's the point. Is, is there's always there's there's always an opportunity around the corner. You know, the old when when one door closes, another opens, and so that's what's coming in the rest of the year. You know, they say God closes a door. I'll go through the window. God closes the window. I'll dig under. God closes that piece. I'll go over and, cool. and, and so forth, right? There's always a way. Uh, I, I will say this to our prediction in closing. Um, we've seen three different types of, um, um, of, of, of things happen this year. And, and this year has been, you know, this year kicked off. If you, if you summarize this year now, midway through the year, we're literally midway through the year, um, June. Uh, it, it, the, the weirdest thing of this year was um, 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 it started off as weird as this may sound. No one even thinks about this now was the untimely death of Kobe Bryant and his daughter, right? That was almost surreal. That was the beginning of this year. Like what the F and F and F was going on. Um, and how is that possible? Of all things in a helicopter crash, right? To COVID, civil unrest and a presidential election and a, a global and, and, and the war on information. And there is a inherent war of information going on now where before when, when, when the, the, when we dealt with these situations, we had a little bit less information and there was a bit more responsibility. And now there's a lot more information and very little responsibility on the information that people put out there. And that creates, you know, we talk about training our people for awareness and fishing. And then we, we mentioned that earlier today. Well, comes to me the clickbait and the fishing and the things that are going to happen on a BYOD device, people working from home during election season with headlines addressing politicals and uh, politics. And then the idea of having to go educate employees, because if, if it's, you know, someone left or right leaning, no matter what, if you come and say, hey, you're, we're, we're getting a lot of attacks in support of the right or the left, someone's going to get offended by it and say, you're, you're trying to indoctrinate me with a specific political viewpoint. And w w our challenges are nowhere near there. I predict that we're going to be in um, give August and let these conventions get in and let us get to 90 days from Election Day and your chaos and your chaos is only going to lead to a uh, combustion chamber that is just going to blow in all aspects from an area of having to navigate how bad guys target our people within our organizations with information um, and, and, and tempting them where if you say anything, it could be a, become an HR issue. Sure. Right. And, and risk your position as an information security officer within the organization. And and that's yeah. one of my concerns. That's one of my Already predictions there. as well. Yeah, that Already there. Yeah, that's one of my concerns, one of my predictions and and I feel like um inherently now um security is tied into so many different aspects of our lives and it, it it's not getting easier to talk about things. In fact, we're getting more divided. And so I just hope that we can come together and really bridge that and that's the point of this podcast. And with that being said, guys, 
State of the Union Part Two. We're we're, we're done. It's a wrap. Kumbaya, my brother. Kumbaya. Are are we really done? Or are we going to do this again in September and then in December? <laughs> I think we're going to do that. I think I, I, I want us to do this in October again, like a month before the election when things are just right at, at, at it and, and maybe have a real frank conversation about it. Um, would be very, very interesting to see what goes on um, in October. And so we'll put something so on you're, our You're saying the October surprise is going to be released on your podcast is that right i'm saying state of the <laughs> union part three um you know is is going to be um in october as we look at the state of our union ahead of the longest lasting democracy on the planet uh the greatest economy ever done in the greatest country ever um and and we shall overcome this as well uh, whether it be our civil unrest or this pandemic, we will win. We will come out victorious. It's going to be ugly, but nonetheless, we'll win because that's what America is built on. America's built on winning, whether right, left, center, conservative, liberal. I don't give a damn shit. We are in this country to win and nothing else. Yep. Amen.